Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where great SaaS companies make every customer journey feel like front row seats at the Super Bowl. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you grow from traction to scale. Here, growth is more than just numbers. It's about crafting a future-proof company, premium valuation, and leaders who build a business of significance while living epic, adventurous lives. Earlier this week, I called an insurance company. It was one of the big ones. And the only worst call I can think of is uh, maybe a three-hour wait on hold to talk to a human at the IRS. Extremely painful. So I called the insurance company and got lost in a maze of redirects and then the message, we're at lunch, leave a voicemail. And a couple of clueless reps who tried to transfer me to someone you know, in that department And after an hour of frustration and a few dropped calls, three tries later, I finally reached someone who sincerely wanted to help me. It's a customer service hero. Five minutes later, problem solved and back to business as usual. But in that moment, I was really reminded how much customer-centric culture matters. And this company honestly could use some work. I won't tell you who it was, but it is a multi-billion dollar insurance company with 7 million customers. And this was the experience. And, you know, you've probably had the same kind of experiences before. The really good ones and the really bad ones both stand out. Uh, Most experiences are somewhere in the mushy middle. Very, very forgettable. But it's those great ones and uh, the terrible ones that just stand out. I've seen companies big and small transform their customer experience by embedding service into their DNA. So how do they do that? At the center is creating a truly customer-centric culture. Here's how I've seen it work. Uh, First is hiring for customer obsession. And that word choice is very, very specific, obsession. The foundation of a customer-centric culture starts with the people you bring into the company. Now, seek out team members who are innately curious about customers and their problems. Screen for things like listening skills, empathy, and a drive for delight. And you might be like, all right, wait, Jeff, can't we just train that? And the truth is, occasionally you can. But here's the thing. If customer obsession isn't in their DNA already, that training likely won't stick. It, this, this has to come from the inside, not be trained or forced from the outside. There's a, a famous story about the shoe retailer Zappos. Lots of people wanted to work there, tons of candidates, and they had a really, really good screening process. So they would screen and get them in, and they go through a training process, really, really impressive training. And then at the end of the training, they offered anybody who wanted to these new hires that they'd put all this time and effort into, two grand, $2,000 to quit if they didn't share the company's service versus values. Think about that. I mean, these aren't executive positions, two grand to just walk away. That's like, I don't know, two or three weeks work. That is bold. And it absolutely worked. It ensured that the team was all in, committed to customer focus. 
Yeah, I love that extreme commitment. The second is to empower your front lines. Uh, Southwest Airlines, Dallas company here, found a really simple way to empower their gate agents to deliver outstanding service. It's, it's almost counterintuitive. The, the mandate was let them be themselves. So ditching strict corporate rules, which I guess Southwest is kind of known for, but every other company in the industry, I mean, that would just like send chills up somebody's spine there. But ditching those, those the strict corporate rules, Southwest gave the employees creative license to connect with customers. And the result, uh, you probably know, industry-leading customer satisfaction results and profits for 30 years running. When the other airlines were going under, disappearing, uh, Southwest has stood the test of time and done really, really well. Uh, another company that comes to mind is Ritz-Carlton. They empower every single employee to solve a problem or take care of a guest up to $500. Now, that is serious empowerment. So I think about you know different roles, doorman, bellman. Uh, front desk, janitor, maid, I mean, everyone, no permission, no approval needed, just solve the issue. And if it's less than that, just take care of it. You know, don't wait for approval and jump through a bunch of hoops, just solve the issue. And compare that to some of the retail experiences of, you know, waiting for a supervisor to approve a void or to correct a price on something that scanned up wrong. Yeah, that may take, you know, minutes, to do that. And, you know, but Ritz Carlson says, no, 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 what we want is we want the problem solved. So just go fix it. And I just love that. So free your team to build rapport and solve problems by eliminating the red tape and micromanaging. Trust them to do right by your customers. And the surprising thing, maybe not so surprising, is they will. And especially if you got step one right. And third, I think we want to lead from the front. Culture flows down from the top. Model customer-centric habits and mindsets. If you expect others to follow, you have to do it yourself. Uh, a lot of you use an accounting software called Xero. That's the one I hear you know, probably as much as QuickBooks. And they're a New Zealand-based SaaS company. They host quarterly customer days where executives take over the support lines to talk directly with the users. Think about that. When's the last time you took a support call? Especially, you know, the larger the organization gets that really don't do that much anymore. But that's one thing that really reinforces their commitment to understanding consumer needs firsthand, not filtered or, you know, through multiple layers of, uh, you know, support or tickets or whatever it might be, they're actually having those conversations. So like Zero, put yourself in the customer's shoes as often as possible. It'll inspire your team more than any memo or meeting or even training. Remember, customer obsession isn't achieved through a training course or a memo. It is baked into culture through every single decision, policy, and habit that touches the customer experience. Do that successfully and you'll earn their loyalty for life. You want to know how SaaS leaders create loyalty for life? Well, come hang out with me and a thousand other SaaS founders in Austin on March 28th and 29th at SaaS Open. Get an inside look at the future of software and spend time with the people that are making it happen. There'll be five different stages with valuable content delivered in short 20-minute segments. Each one is focused on a different role. We've got SaaS founders, CMOs, heads of product, sales, and engineering. The best way to predict the future is to create it. So come do that with us March 28th and 29th. 
I'll be speaking at a couple of sessions on the five monsters SaaS leaders must slay and uh, doing some live podcast episodes as well. So join me. I'd love to meet you and see you there. You can learn more at sasopen.com and use code CHAMPION2024 when you register and save a couple hundred bucks off your ticket. sasopen.com. Our founder on Tuesday was Michael Camleitner, founder of two SaaS companies, Walls.io and SWAT.io. Michael bootstrapped both companies to large, high-performing teams, executive leadership, and he's been able to step out of day-to-day operations. So some huge lessons on building a great business that doesn't consume the most precious resource you have, and that is you and your time. And our expert guest last week was Brady Jensen, founder of Aggregate Insights. We talked about solving the trust problem between marketing and sales. And if you've ever had an experience where reality in the field doesn't match the playbook that marketing drew up, this is a great episode. And, you know, I think we've all had that happen. So if you missed either one of those, go back and give them a listen. My guest today is Kenneth Burke, VP of Marketing for Text Request, a business messaging platform. He's written over a thousand articles on business growth for dozens of outlets and helped all types of companies from pre-launch startups to billion-dollar businesses connect with their customers and achieve their goals. Welcome, Kenneth Burke. Hey, Kenneth. Welcome to SaaS Fuel. Hey, thank you for having me here. Tell me a little bit about your background and how you ended up at uh, Text Request. Yeah, so I always say I got here uh, through serendipity. So I went to school originally for music, ended up with a degree in psychology, the experimental side, went into sales for a couple of years, and then switched into marketing whenever I got tired of cold calling. And along the way, and how I got a Text Request was a good friend of mine was helping start the company. And uh, I was looking for a, a switch anyway. And he said, hey, come join us. Come do this thing. It's really exciting. And I said, sure, that sounds great. Um, and uh, I don't know when this is going to be shared, but you know, January 12th is my nine-year anniversary here. So it's been a crazy awesome. little ride. That's fantastic. I mean, I'm sure you've seen a lot of things change in, uh, in, in the text messaging over the, the last nine years as a marketing channel, marketing platform. Now, what, what does that evolution look like? Yeah, it has gone from largely, hey, I just need to get a response from people who aren't answering my phone calls. Because uh, really, I mean, SMS, SMS marketing is the, the parent category that everybody knows. But our target customer from day one, really, uh, or the first one we found traction with were small business owners, particularly those in the service industry. So if you think about um, moving services or pest control and cleaning services, these people who have already built up a good lead funnel uh, of people coming in and expressing interest, but then whenever the business went to, to follow up with them, they would call and they just couldn't get anybody to pick up or answer a phone call. Um, and so they had you know thousands of dollars in business every week that was just disappearing. Um, but we gave them a tool where they could, could text those customers um, to get a response, to get a service scheduled, um, and actually, you know, get that get that revenue in their in their wallets. Um, so that was where we started, and then from there, we've seen it obviously grow pretty substantially. Businesses got pretty familiar, pretty comfortable with adding text messaging as a, another channel. 
um, in addition to email or social media or direct mail, even you know everything else that they use. Um, it's just where people's attention is is has is and has been in their smartphones, um, and texting is a a great way to just um, pop up, you know, on those smartphones and and you get that attention and then use it however you need to. So whether it's just quick customer updates, whether it is for sales or for marketing and promotions, um, even for hiring or you know volunteering. Um, there's there's all sorts of use cases there. So we've seen it really, you know, spread the entire business world and kind of permeate through every department and every role, which has been really interesting to watch. And then, you know, it got to a point where um, so many businesses were starting to to text for commercial purposes that, you know, regulars have stepped in now and have said, hey, we need to, to make sure, one, that businesses are legitimate, you know, two, that you're sending qualified traffic, that people are opting into this, um, that you aren't just spamming folks. Um, and so that's been a pretty significant and impactful change over the last couple of years. That's still, you know, rolling out today. Um, and it's a little bit of a headache for us and for some of our customers, but ultimately it's good because it means, you know, you can send more messages more reliably and know that people are going to actually trust them. So it's really better for everybody. Yeah. The channel doesn't get diluted or polluted um, just by spam. I mean, email has exactly. is, is really become that way in a, in a large part. 100%. So you said that you know, initially they were really looking for a response. How has that changed? What are they looking for now? What have you seen as far as like use cases for text messages? Maybe some things that, that you hadn't thought of that your customers started doing. Like, wow, that's really cool. Yeah, there's been a, a bunch of those moments over time. You know, and a lot of people will ask me or ask us, you know, what's the most interesting thing you've seen people text for? And honestly, I think the most interesting one has been um, texting for bouncy house rentals, like those giant inflatable, you know, kid slides and, and bouncy houses, um, you know, just to rent those for an afternoon. I think that's been the most fun or most interesting one. But you know, our customers will use will text for anything. It, about the same reason you would text for anything throughout the day. You know, sometimes it's um, just to replace a phone call because you've got to call a lot of people and you don't want to do that. So you just send a mass message out and say, "Hey, here's the update. Let me know if you have any uh, questions about it." Sometimes it's uh, replacing invoices and uh, payment requests. So instead of mailing something out, which could cost you, you know, a dollar. To send, you send a text, you know, and that's a minimal fee. Um, and then you normally get paid faster too, because people see the text instantly and they just go ahead and, and pay the bill. So that's that's helpful. A lot of quick updates throughout the day. I mean, we've seen, you know, I'm going a little all over the board here, but you know, logistics companies or brokerages using it for dispatch to say, hey, we've got you know a load of freight. Can somebody pick it up and and move it to this location? Um, here's the rate for it. Um, all sorts of things. Yeah, so many great use cases. And it's something, I mean, everybody has a, a phone in their pocket. And it's just a way to, to communicate. It's a way to reach a market and, you know, and a way to get a response. The stats, what is it, like 95% of text messages are read in the first 10 seconds? I mean, you yeah, hear the ding. We're, we're so conditioned to look at that. A, a crazy piece of it too is uh, at least in my generation the millennial generation so many of us um, leave our phones on silent now but we're still checking it constantly you know we just light up the home screen to see did we miss anything has anything come in you know we're so conditioned to to check and interact with the next thing and there's 
there's some cons to that. I'm not, you know, we, we won't lie about that. Um, but you're also able to use that responsibly and ethically as a company to get your message seen and to build deeper relationships with your customers. And that's really powerful. It is, especially when there's, there's value. And, you know, if it's, if it's an update, you know, your order is going to be delivered, you know, here's, here's a receipt, here's a reminder. I mean, so many things have, have value and, you know, where I wouldn't necessarily go and look at an email, but, but getting that via text, um, you know, even offers, you know, restaurants, things like that are, are using text more and more of uh, sending out uh, special offers and things like that. So, so many ways to, to add value and, and keep those connections so have you seen it, it's text has become less of a, a commodity or less informational, more about re- building relationships? I don't know if it's it, it, more or less. I would say both are happening a lot of the time. So, it, you know, it's, it, you know, we do have a lot of customers who share information and don't need a response. And maybe it is that, you know, shipping update or that, um, that technician update, you know, Hey, Jimmy's going to be at your house in 20 minutes. You know, keep an eye out for a white truck. Um, things like that. They don't need a response, but it's really helpful to see that. You know, and if it went to your email, you would see it two days later. Right. That's exactly right. So you write a lot about marketing, business growth. Uh, what are some common pitfalls or challenges you see when companies are trying to use text for marketing or just in, in marketing in general? Common challenge here is going to be not knowing, well, several, I mean, and these don't apply just to text messaging, but one is not knowing exactly what you want to use it for. So you hear from a lot of people, hey, you should be using this channel or this tactic. It's something you should do. And you buy into it because you you hear from smart people who you trust and who are seeking success with it. Um, But you haven't quite figured out what that means for you. And so it's really helpful to take a, a little bit of extra time, just a couple extra steps and say, okay, you know, here's, here's a channel we can add into our mix uh, to get people's attention, to get re- more responses or faster responses if we need. Um, what's a good situation for that, for us? You know, a lot of times it's just um, if you are going to call down a list of customers about an update or for an offer, an opportunity, um, you can replace that with a mass text. Sometimes it's um, replacing check-in calls or customer calls. Um, because if you can remove small talk, you know, just a, a few seconds or a couple of minutes times 20, 30, 100, you know, customers a day, that really adds up. Um, and that helps you get a lot of your time back. So just think through that. There's one common pitfall. Um, another is not knowing how to measure it from the uh, relatively small, but from the subset of customers we have who end up stopping the tech service or stopping texting as a channel. Um, because they quote unquote didn't see results. Um, the the real reason is because they weren't measuring anything, and you know that which gets measured gets improved. And so if it's not going to get measured, it's not going to get improved. You aren't going to be able to see a direct connection or correlation to the actions you're taking to what you're getting in your bank account, and that's going to be problematic no matter what. So whenever you start, look for for a, a metric that you can you can measure that you can report on. It might be time saved. It might be um, speed of response. It might be, you know, if you are a, a, an appointment-based business, it might be the number of additional appointments you can keep on the books. Uh, but just think through that. So there, there's a, a few common pitfalls. Yeah. What are metrics that the company should be measuring if they're looking at uh, you know, SMS as a channel? Um, 
number of subscriber opt-ins is an easy one. Number of um, responses or conversions, depending on what your use case is for texting a lot of times. So, you know, a lot of um, this would apply whether you're an accountant connecting with clients or you're a pest control company, you know, seasonally, you want to get the word out there, remind people that you have a service that they appreciate, that they just need to, you know, get off the treadmill of life for 15 minutes and uh, schedule, schedule a quick call or appointment or service. Um, and so just sending, you know, a seasonal promotion to say, hey, this is happening. And then you can measure the effectiveness of that with how many appointments you get booked. That's an easy one. Um, you know, retail SMS is the most common that people are familiar with. Uh, you know, and that's just, we send a promotion about a new product we've got. We've got a link to buy it. Maybe we've got a nice image or graphic to complement it to make you really want to want to learn more or see it. Uh, you know, how many people click the link and, and then purchase the product. And you can, you know, track that through a, a UTM or custom URL. Um, online reviews is another one that's actually really powerful. So, of course, the more online reviews you get, the higher you will rank in search results, um, the more customers you'll get, um, the more likely people will be to choose you than a competitor, all the good things. And so, you know, um, another good one is to say, okay, hey, if we, we text a customer after we've completed a service um, or a project and ask them for uh, a review, you know, what star ratings are we getting? How many reviews are we getting completed? Um, those are those are good metrics. Okay, and you mentioned putting links or UTMs uh, specifically, but do you have a character limit in text. How are you using links within text in order to track the the UTMs? I think it's a brilliant strategy. Yeah, good question. So um, two parts. One, there is a character limit that's created by the carriers where you can have 160 um, standard characters within a a standard SMS message. Practically speaking, though, the limit is more like 1,600 characters because we do... Oh, and I'm blanking on the term. But basically, we do this thing behind the scenes um, where we can join messages together. And so, you know, on your on your billing, you it's, it would say or show that you sent multiple texts or most, multiple SMS segments is the identical term. Uh, but you sent multiple texts, but it all came through as one message. So it just looks like one cohesive message to the to the customer. So it gives you a little more room, gives you more, you can add more meat to it if you need it. We do recommend shorter messages. They tend to be punchier and more effective anyway. Um, nobody wants to get a novel in a text, right? Um, <laughs> right. But as long as you're just keeping track with your usage, you you know, it's a, it's a non-issue. Do you recommend using link shorteners in messages or is that something that, uh, that may get your, your text message blocked? Yeah, it's more likely to get you... Um, flagged as potential for spam and if you there's there's a lot of little loopholes here like um or not loopholes necessarily but a lot of sort of strange trends or tendencies so one thing is if you end a message with a link uh it's likely to be a red flag to carriers however if you put any characters after your link um like a thank you or even a period or something um then you bypass that little red flag um, shortened URLs do look a little fishier than the full length URLs to carriers because think about it, if you're a consumer, you can't tell what necessarily what's on the other side of that shortened URL. Um, whereas you could, if it had the full URL showing, you could see it's textrequest.com as opposed to, you know, 
bit.ly forward slash one, two, four, five, C 12, you know, um, so people pick up on that, but I, in, in most cases, if you've got opt-in traffic and you aren't sending to thousands and thousands um, of customers, and if your business is registered with the carriers already, which is standard practice now, um, you should be okay. Yeah, registration is, is something that is, I think, maybe taken too long to come about, but I think that's a really good change in just helping keep the, the traffic high quality. Where, where people are identified. If you, can you tell us a little bit about the, the registration process and, and what that's like for a company? Is it quick? Does it take a long time? Yeah, so um, the quick answer, and I, this is a, has a little bit of bias through tax requests because we've just created a, a, a process for it and this is what works for us and how we do it. And so, you know, whenever you create your account or you set up a new uh, phone number for texting, we now just require you to to submit your information in order to register. And, and then we just take that information and we go to the players that be and uh, register for you. And there's a few steps in it. you know. So you have to register your brand and then you have to register a campaign, is what they call it. Um, and so you know, there's a couple pieces of that that are pretty near instant. And then there's a couple of pieces that, depending on who you go through um, or who your, your provider is, it can take... You know, a few weeks, and everybody in the industry is trying to to speed that time up. Um, sure, but currently there is a little bit of a, a lag. So, but I guess actually the, to to come back, you know, for us, if you do share your information for us to submit for you or register for you, um, that's all you have to do. You don't have to worry about anything technical or behind the scenes. We'll just, you know, you'll just be registered when you're registered, and if there's a hiccup along the way, we'll let you know. It's helpful. It's always good to have a, a partner that, that knows how to do that and, and can lead you through the process and, instead of trying to, to figure it out by yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what other tips or tricks are there that you can share that uh, help with deliverability or help with engagement? Yeah, one and a lot of these also will apply to other marketing tactics and other channels. But you know, one is to to send people messages that they want to receive. You know. So it helps that they opt in. That shows interest, right? Um, and then send them what they opted in for. So if you have a, um, you know, let, let's say you set up a keyword and the keyword is text demo to get a demo of our a quick demo of our product. And then you have an auto response to them that gives them a link to schedule a time, you know, to see a demo, let's just say. And then you start sending them marketing messages later. Like, hey, look at these new features we have. Hey, you know, we're doing another event over here. Um, register for it. Uh, they may not want those messages, right? So that may hurt your engagement and that could have a, a downstream impact on your deliverability versus if you're sending them things they actually want, it looks good, everything's healthy. Um, other things that are, are kind of are smaller, but, you know, shorter messages are helpful. Um, don't use all caps. That's a flag. Don't use dollar signs. That's another flag. One or two emojis are okay. Excessive emojis will will get you flagged. Um, but it really just it, it, you can kind of use the golden rule for it. You know, send text as you wish you would be texted. Um, <laughs> if like it's something that. that you would want to interact with, that you're probably gonna your customer is probably gonna have a good time too. That's, that's really really good advice. How have you seen marketing evolve over the the last few years with multiple channels? 
and uh, you know, it seems like we're supposed to be as, as business owners supposed to be everywhere. Uh, how does that work? And, and you know, what what have you seen this worked? Is it really focusing on one channel and then adding some other ones, or you know, what have you seen the most success in? I, it's tough because I've seen all of it work. You know, one of the the beauties and one of the downfalls of marketing is that there are so many ways to do it well. There's so many ways to mess it up, but there's so many ways to do it well. And I, I think the maybe the bigger in the bigger thing I've seen in line with what you were just saying is individuals building personal brands, um, kind of on the backs of their companies on a particular platform and growing there. And so for a while, I, I, you know, I work in software, and so I, I pay a lot of attention to other people in software. And so, you know, for for a lot of time or for a, a long time, there it was building on Twitter. And then you started to see LinkedIn growing really as a place to grow a brand. And you started to see these people who had grown significant followings on Twitter come over to LinkedIn. Maybe even before that, you know, Medium was the hot new thing, um, you know, for blocking. And um, anyway, I remember spending a lot of time there. Uh, so I've seen that, uh, but it's it's basically been, I think the, the common thread through, throughout that and what worked before and what's still working and what will continue to work has been content marketing there, right? So you are sharing something valuable and interesting to people who aren't looking to buy a product right then, um, but something that can get their attention, you know, kind of meet them where they are and bring them just an inch closer to buying your product. And then you, the next day you bring them another inch closer and you keep doing that. Um, and then it turns into, you know, social selling and brand building and all of these things. And so that's something I've seen trending heavily the last, you know, couple of years that I see will continue to go forward. And there are lots of other, you know, trends going on and things that will work. Um, but that's just top of mind. Well, what's one misconception about uh, SMS marketing that, uh, that you've come across? And uh, how can you debunk that? I would say the one common misconception is that it is all... Uh, impersonal blast marketing. And that was something we kind of raged against for the first four or five years this company was in existence because we would say, yeah, we are, you know, we're a text messaging software. And they would say, you know, oh, well, I don't have anything to promote. And I, it's, it's kind of a fair objection, but it also misses the mark, you know, where it is any channel, it's just a distribution uh, channel. Um, and so whether or not you need to use it or be there, you know, whether it's SMS or TikTok or anything else, you know, the, whether or not you need to be there is do you have a, a core audience who is there, who you could reach there, who would be receptive to a message you have? And I think a lot of people think they don't have anything to market or promote um, when they really do. I used accountants as an example earlier, and, and that's an easy one that stands out because, you know, you would never think of an accountant marketing or promoting themselves through text. Like, what would they say? Um, and yet, there are things they can do all the time. You know, it can be, um, you know, hey, tax season is is here. We'll help you get your taxes done. Or it can be, hey, we've uh, expanded into wealth management, which is something a lot of uh, accounting firms do. Or we can do, you know, fractional CFO for your business. Um, all these different things, um, even reviews. I saw one. I love this example. It was uh, for Black Friday. Instead of trying to promote a product or anything, they just said, "Hey, we're going to do a, 
you know, a tailgate, there's a football game or a basketball game. Of course, there always is. Um, and so they say, hey, we're going to do a tailgate, you know, um, in the parking lot and inside our offices. Come on out. And that's, I, I think that's a fun example of just how to bring people together. You know, it's, it's, it's marketing, it's promotional, but it doesn't feel salesy, you know, but you are bringing your clients closer to you and you're bringing your clients together. And that always has a downstream impact. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's a great use. And it just, it, it's using it to build that relationship. You're, you're creating that community. And so it's not, you know, marketing at people, but it's inviting them into your world and you're, you know, just like you're texting a friend. Exactly. You know, what's the, what's the line? Um, oh man, uh, great marketing doesn't feel like marketing. And that's yeah. a good example there. Well, no, the, the broader scope, you know, you talk a lot about, uh, you know, B2B marketing strategy, your top B2B marketing strategy voice on LinkedIn. So if, if everybody should be following uh, Kenneth for sure. And he puts out great, great content. What are some marketing strategies that uh, you could share, you know, specifically B2B? I, I, so... I'll say we target small business primarily and then some enterprise, but primarily small business. And so things for us and that I would recommend are different than if you're targeting, you know, the fortune 500 or the global 2000, and you really need to focus heavily on account-based marketing there. Um, and in-person events and um, kind of smaller crowd dinners are, are really effective there. For us, things that worked have been much more around, um, content creation. So we know there's an active audience of people searching for, you know, a solution to connect with customers to texting. They have a lot of questions about it. And so there's a ton of content that we can create, make sure it ranks for Google. We can complement that with um, search marketing and then, you know, distribute it on LinkedIn or pick another channel, you know, through email even. Um, and so that can work really well for that's worked really well for us and I would recommend that to anybody. Um, and then it's just, you know, it, it's kind of following what I said a little bit earlier, you know, find a place where you have a core audience um, who would be receptive to uh, hearing a message from you that you can afford to get a message out through. That might be an association. It might be radio. Um, you've got to do a little fact finding there, but if you hit those criteria, you'll be okay. That's really smart. And for those that, that are targeting maybe, you know, something bigger, you said, you know, smaller events, uh, things like that. Tell me more about that as a strategy. Yeah, I, well, the psychology background coming in here, right? Um, Love that. Uh, yeah, well, executives, you know, want to feel special, right? And so if you go to a larger conference, for instance, there will always be these little um, side events going on where, you know, the C-suite and the founders and the, the VPs of whatever are invited. Not everybody, not all the attendees, but just these select, you know, customers or prospects. Um, and part of it is because they control the purse strings and they're making the decisions. But part of it is because um, they want to feel taken care of. They want to feel appreciated by their vendors. And, you know, if you as a vendor can tap into that emotion... And also provide a, a service or a product that is quality and, you know, meets the promise you make. Um, it helps you build a good relationship. And so in that relationship, you can turn into uh, a customer. You can turn into referrals. 
you can turn into a resource whenever you have questions of your own. You know, like, hey, I just need to learn more about this, or we're going through this challenge. You know, can you help me out? Um, so those are really good there. And typically, you know, in the more in the enterprise, your your deal size is large enough that you can afford to to have a small, you know, very nice dinner or a, a smaller event and still be profitable on, on the account. Yeah, that's great. So one of the things that you wrote about a little while back was marketing mistakes and things that, that we all do in marketing. What are some common marketing mistakes you've seen, and, uh, and particularly in B2B? I think the most common one is is shutting off a campaign or a strategy before it's really had time to flourish. Marketing is is a bit of a paradox, um, or maybe a juxtaposition, we'll say, where you've got to um, create quick wins. Like you have to be able to show that what you are doing is working, and also it often takes a long time for what you're doing to prove results. And so there's a lot of push and pull, you know, with that. Um, and so I think, or I see a lot of people or a lot of companies start something that really could have legs and they don't see uh, revenue coming directly from it in the first week or month or quarter. And so they just cut it. And sometimes, you know, maybe it's not working and that's a good call. But in a lot of cases, it just takes longer to, to see something grow. You know, content marketing and SEO or search, and op- search engine optimization is a, a good example there. You know, rule of thumb is it takes six months to start to see results. Not to see a huge impact, but to just start to see something. And there are plenty of things you can do to speed that timeline up. But, you know, it takes time. Um, it really... Um, well, what's the, I'm blanking on a word here. It keeps happening today, apparently. But... Um, Getting really deep into a particular association, let's say, is a, is another good one because once you're the go-to, you're the go-to. You know, everybody comes to you, and it's so easy to get new business. But it takes a long time to to build that reputation and establish yourself in that way. Um, so anyway, cutting things off too soon is maybe the biggest one. Um, another one is um, doing something that you think is good to do but that doesn't fit perfectly in line with your company's number one goal. And in one phrasing or another, it's something I we probably all see, you know, a lot of marketing teams do this where you say, well, we need to be doing X, Y, Z because it's good to do or because it has these benefits. Um, but you've got to be able to tie those benefits back to whatever your stated primary company goal is. And usually that's a revenue milestone or it might be a, a number of customers to acquire. Um, but it's not enough to do something because it's good for the brand or builds up your reputation if you can't also parlay that into sales conversation started. You know, so there's there's a little bit of um of planning and connecting the dots that a lot of marketing teams miss uh, that ends up resulting in a lot of frustration. And sometimes it's just, you know, the or the solution is just taking a little bit of time to to work with your senior. Uh, staff or executives or another department and say, hey, what are we really working towards here? Or what's the what's the guiding light? And sometimes, you know, you won't get a very clear answer and you just need to set one as a marketing team, you know, as a department. You just need to say, hey, we are going to, we're going to target 
30% revenue growth this year, let's say, or we're going to target bringing in X number of customers or improving our average contract value by 10%, you know, the first half of this year, something like that, you know, something that nobody's going to, nobody's going to be upset with you if your target is more money usually. So right. that's a good safe, that's a safe bet. Um, but that's, that's another common mistake I see. So how do you know when to stick and when to you know, give up on a strategy? Man, that's a billion dollar question. Um, I am, I am, I will give my answer in what I use, but I will also say that I am open to ideas here. Um, so mine is, uh, we have for, for a strategy that we are starting, we will say, here's a, here, um, here's the objective. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. Here's a, and then here's a metric that we will use to measure it and determine whether or not we accomplished it. So if the goal is to, you know, increase referrals, well then, you know, we have a target of X number of referrals that we can, you know, track as a referral in a quarter. And so we'll, we'll have the objective, have the metric, and then we'll have outlined steps along the way, things that we will need to do, we believe, in order to, to meet the metric and accomplish the objective. Um, but what we will also have is uh, a little defined signals. And so maybe we don't hit X number of referrals. That was our target. But we did hit, I don't know, 25% of that, let's say. Um, okay. And so something in there is working. Um, or maybe it is, I'll go back to content marketing because that's maybe an easier one. You know, we aren't seeing um, 100,000 new people coming in through organic search, but we are seeing, uh, you know, double digit month over month increases. So we're seeing, you know, steady improvements there. Okay. So that tells us this is working, this is going in the right direction. We had a bad estimate on our initial timeline. Uh, sometimes that, that bad estimate's costly. Sometimes you can just roll with it and it's fine. Um, but that's a signal that says this is still working. So we, we, we look for things like that. And um, if it, you know, occasionally it will be something where we can see we can get traction, but maybe it's too expensive. So video ads are a good example um, where, you know, we could... It, for one campaign I, I have in mind, we um, we saw we got engagement. People were watching the ad, which is great. We saw that was a signal. We saw that um, people were coming to our website from the video. That was another signal. That was great. We saw that they were having a good experience on our website, uh, which we judged by time on page. That was another good signal. But we were seeing a too low of a number converting into qualified leads or who started sales conversations and then purchased. And so, you know, by some measure, it looked like it was working, um, but ultimately it wasn't, or it was like it was working, but it wasn't working in a cost-effective way for us. And so I don't remember what the timeline was for measuring this, but we eventually had to cut that. Yeah. And that's really interesting. Really, you know, what is the the goal in in defining success? I mean, going viral is is great, and and you know, getting a lot of engagement is good. But if it doesn't result in sales, did it work? And I think that's that's where you know what you say. Really understanding what the goal of the the campaign is, and and make sure that that's well defined, so you know what the outcome is you're looking for to decide. You know, are we moving closer to that, or are we not moving closer to that? 
Absolutely. And, and really, a, something that was very helpful for, for me and our team was implementing the, the OKRs framework for goal setting, so objections and key results. Um, if you're listening and you're not familiar, just Google John Dewar OKRs, those three letters, and uh, it'll pop up. Um, some people push back against it because uh, they aren't able to see the kind of results they want from it. Um, in our case, it's been very helpful for keeping the team unified and on target. So we started that two and a half years ago, maybe, and it's it's made a big impact. Oh, that's really, really good. Uh, one of the things that, that you wrote about in uh, The Mistakes was talking about uh, the buying process. You, you alluded to it uh, there. And in, in grouping customers, not just by what they do or the industry, but how they buy. And sometimes that's the same within a specific target market. Sometimes it could be different. But how do you... How do you put those together uh, where you say, you know, they buy this way and so we want to market in a certain way, or maybe they have a different type of buying process and so we want to market to them differently? Yeah, great question. I'm going to oversimplify this because there will be uh, outliers to this. It's not as straightforward. But in a perfect world, uh, you're doing two, two things uh, or three things, really. One, you're, you're talking to customers every day. Um, and if you as a marketer aren't talking to customers, you are at least talking to your sales and service teams to understand what people are saying. Um, and those sales and service teams are asking questions like, how'd you hear about us? You know, What stood out? What are you really interested in? Um, what do you need in order to, to buy? You know, what do you need in order to, to onboard and launch this product? Um, different things like that. So you're able to crowdsource that info. Um, and over time, you can kind of put people into different buckets. You know, you hope everyone's pretty close to the same. There's probably going to be some differences. And so you start to put people into buckets and look for, for common criteria. Next, something that was really helpful for us was um, heat map and user tracking on our website. So we could see the steps people were going through on our website. And in our case, it was basically they come to the homepage to see what exactly is is it that we do? Then they look at our pricing page to see if we're even worth researching further. Like, are we in budget or what they're used to? Um, then they go to our demo page because they want to see what the product looks like. We've gone back and forth with actually having a demo on the website versus just asking people to schedule. Honestly, we haven't really seen a difference in results between the two. Which I found, yeah, right. There are probably some other factors at play, but it's been really interesting to to not see something so clear. Um, but then people will will poke around a few product pages because they want to look for a particular detail. Like, can you do this specific thing? Um, can I see a screenshot of this? Um, things like that, and they'll come back to you know pricing and and check for stuff. And maybe they'll reach out. Maybe they'll take a next step. Maybe they leave. So the user testing there was really helpful for us. Or user tracking there, excuse me, um, and then looking at aggregates in our our analytics, you know, just seeing where where's traffic coming from, can we match that to an action that was taken, like a demo scheduled, um, you know, and when we ask people on the demo form how you heard about us, does it actually line up with what we're seeing, where they came from? And a lot of times it wouldn't, and that would, you know, open up questions that we would have to to track down, but that led to us learning, uh, led to us learning more. Um, so those are the three things, really. And you start to do all of that for a while, and you get a really clear idea on how your, your buyer buys. 
And a lot of people just don't take the little bit of extra effort in a few of those places to to get the extra details um, so that they can communicate and market more effectively. That makes sense. You're really doing the things that, that most companies are not. And I love the alignment, though, of, of doing that and really understanding how someone buys, what their process is, not forcing them into your sales process, but but matching their buying process and inserting yourself into that so that, that you're really leading them. Absolutely. And there, there's a lot of other pieces to it that you know I haven't covered. Like I've really just focused here on what happens on the website or once they talk to us. Um, there are other things that matter. You know, Where do they go to for comparisons or for recommendations? Do they go to a particular review platform? Do they go to a particular community um, or an association forum or something like that? You know, you know, Who are the influencers for their market? It, that's another good question to ask. Um, but just the more, the more you learn, read, learn from it and read into it, um, the stronger you'll be. Super helpful. Well, where can people learn more about you and about text request and, and about Burke bits? Yeah. So uh, text request is textrequest.com. You know, everything's there. You can always reach a real person if you want to talk to us um, or not. You know, it's up to you. You can text us or call <laughs> us or email us from there. Um, for me, you can just look me up on LinkedIn. I look like this, you know, Kenneth Burke. And then for BerkBits, yeah, you can get to that from my LinkedIn page or just go to BerkBits.com and it's all there. Absolutely. We'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes. And like I said before, everybody should subscribe as it is absolute gold, the, uh, the marketing information and insights that Kenneth shares. Really good stuff. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being on SaaS Fuel. It's a great conversation. Very helpful. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Although I did most of the talking. So thank you. (laughs) Thanks again, Kenneth, for coming on the show and sharing your insights and resources. You can learn more about Kenneth and Text Request at textrequest.com. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. And remember, we have full episode shorts, training, outtakes, and quite a bit more on our YouTube channel. So don't forget to check that out. And you know, leaders help leaders. And this week, you can do a two-for-one by sharing the podcast with a friend. They will absolutely appreciate it, and so do I. That's one of the big ways that we grow is by leaders turning other leaders onto the podcast. So thank you for sharing. Everyone who shares this week gets a complaint converter. It's a device that turns every customer complaint into a compliment, powered by the most advanced positivity algorithms and a little pinch of AI thrown in there. Your feedback form just got a lot more glowing. Join us next Tuesday where we have three-time founder Mike Adams. He is founder and executive chairman of Grain.com. We'll talk about startup wins, losses, crazy acquisitions, go-to-market, and generative AI. And the next week on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series, we have Becky Lawler. She is the brains behind Redpoint Content. We'll be talking about how to use original research to create customized B2B insights that build your authority and your audience. So I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. 
Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.